So let's um, open with prayer to our Heavenly Father. Father, our Heavenly Father, and the Father of Jesus, our Savior, we come to you with praise. We come to you with adoration. We come to you in, in fellowship with one another that we may set our hearts and our minds upon things above. And Father, as we come to this book that we call Revelation, help us, Father, to hear it, to understand it, to obey it, and to know that your decrees will come to pass, for you are sovereign and mighty. And we thank you, Father, that from heaven we will receive our Savior. He will come and will transform the body of our lowly state into conformity with the body of, of His of His glory. And He can do that because He has all power. And so, Father, we give You thanks. We love You, Father. Amen. Okay, welcome as we encounter this vision that John has had. In review, John is on the island of Patmos. He is exiled there by the, the Roman emperor Domitian. And this is probably in the, in the early 90s. Um, and probably John is the last living apostle at this time. Now, while he's on the island of Patmos, you know, God's not forgotten him. And he receives this vision of Christ and about this time, he receives some visitors, seven messengers, seven, perhaps they're, 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 they're some of the leaders of these seven churches. They visit him, um, and they um, receive, a, receive this revelation that they are to send back to their churches. And we've gone through those letters. There's seven of them. And now we come to chapter 4 and chapter 5. That is the third part of Revelation. If you can recall on chapter 1, verse 19, Christ gives us the outline of this book. He says to John, Write therefore the things which you have seen. That's chapter 1, this vision. And then also the things which are, that is chapters 2 and 3, the churches. And then the third thing is the things which shall take place after these things. And that is chapters 4 through the end of the book. Now, Begin with chapter 4, John is called up in the Spirit to heaven. And this is a vision of things future to John. In fact, it's future to us too. These are the last things. Um, 
And so John records for us this vision. And what does he see when he arrives in heaven, when that door is opened, when he is ushered in? He sees a worship service. And last week, we um, introduced this worship service in chapter 4. Um, John says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, the sound like a trumpet, appealed to me and said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne standing in heaven, and one sitting upon the throne. And so in this chapter... John gives us the vision that he saw. He saw this throne, and around this throne there were these four living beings. And also around this throne there were 24 other thrones. And at, in a, towards the end of chapter 4, they engage in worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and who is to come. And the four living creatures give, give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. And the 24 elders will fall down before Him and sit on, who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before Him, saying, Worthy are You, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You do create all things, and because of Your will, they existed and they were created. So today, we're going to see the vision of the Lamb, the search for the Holy One, the selection of the Holy One, of the Worthy One, and the song of the Worthy One. And first we'll do a review of chapter 4, and this is going to be a pretty short review because um, of our time. Um, um, you know, we, 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 we saw last week about the four living beings, or, well, um, they're, they're not creatures in the sense that they're, they're, they're animals, um, but, they are, but they are beings. The, the word comes from the, from the Greek word to live, zoe. Um, and, and, and then there are all these hymns of praise, and they do not cease doing this. So this is not, not, not just something that begins at that time. Um, this is something that is ongoing. And um, he is the one who is, who, who was, and who is, and who is to come. He is eternal. He's self-existent. And he will reign forever and ever. There will not be a change in administration. 
to all of eternity. And the, and the elders, and they add their voice to the song of praise. Worthy are you, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of this, because of your will, they existed and they were created. And so the elders acknowledge God has the right to judge. And then, um, so that will go to the seven seals. So let's read chapter 5. And what comes next. Now, this is still John in the Spirit. This is still the worship service. And John says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book or scroll written inside and out with sealed with seven seals. And I saw a, saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book to break its seals. And no one, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look upon it. And I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or even to look upon it. But one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold the lion that is from the tribe of Judah. The root of David has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living beings and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came, and he took it out of the hand, of the right hand of him who sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book, to break its seals. For you were slain and did purchase for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom of, and priests to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. And I looked and behold a voice of angels around the throne. Many angels around the throne. And the living beings and the elders. The number of them were myriads of myriads. Thousands upon thousands. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor, glory and blessing. And every 
created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures were beings kept saying Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshipped. Well, that is a worship service, isn't it? Um, so now, but you know, throughout history, there's been many pretenders to the throne. Um, there's been many who have risen themselves up to proclaim themselves to be some great king, some great ruler. Um, and but what happens to all of them? They die. And what happens to all of their kingdoms? They perish. Um, so, and they all fail. Only one individual has the right, the power, and authority to rule the earth. The Lord Jesus Christ. He will one day take back what is rightfully His. And he'll take it back from Satan the usurper and all of the rebels, demonic and human. No one else is worthy or capable of ruling the world. No evil man, not even a good man. Um, no demon, no, even a, not even a holy angel. Revelation 5 induces us, introduces us to Jesus Christ, earth's rightful ruler who is pictured above about to return to redeem the world from sin from Satan from death and the curse and he's the central figure of this second vision of this next part of the vision that we see in chapter 5 so this is vision so when John sees this worship service he's he notices then that in the right hand of the one sitting on the throne, there's a scroll or a book. Um, um, you know, by, by this time, Christians had begun to write their scriptures in a book-like form. Um, what we might call the precursor of our modern book. Um, but this is actually a rolled up and it's um, sealed there's seven of them um, and so this mighty angel this strong angel proclaims with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals so these, so chapter 5 is just a part of this worship, worship service that began in chapter 4. There was the cherubim, those six-winged angelic beings that are around the throne. There's the 24 elders, which represent the raptured, the glorified church. And there's the Holy Spirit in a seven-fold glory. And the events described in these two chapters anticipate the 
what we call the Holocaust, the divine judgment about to be poured out on the sinful, rebellious, cursed earth. And there, and you can see John being all struck by the indescribable majesty of God's throne, the flashes of lightning, the peals of thunder which proceed from it. The cherubim and the elders begin a series of hymns in, the, in a praise to God. And these hymns celebrate that God is creator and that He is judge. Um, and this is the moment that all of us Christians long for. That God is about to judge the earth and complete what we know of the world now. So, John saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and out and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? Now, of course, this angel is mighty. He's strong. But then all the angels are angels. Angels are that way, right? I mean, but this one is, but you know, they vary in their majesty. They they vary in their abilities. They vary vary in their function. This one is a high-ranking, mighty angel, um, but he's not named. Um, so again, John saw. So he's a witness here. Um, he saw in the right hand of him who sat upon the throne a book written inside and out, sealed with seven seals. And so, he'll sort of, so here God kind of shows his hand. And in the hand, in his right hand, there's a, a book. Um, now, what is this book? That's a. Um, um, there's. This book pictures what we, what the, what the people on earth would see or understand as a contract or a title deed. Typically, back then, when you made a contract, you made two copies. Um, one copy was sealed and kept in a safe place. The other copy was used for daily functioning. Um, and it would be used and written upon and, you know, uh, annotated. But what if someone um, thought that maybe the contract had been alterated, changed, uh, modified? Well, in that case, you'd go back to the sealed copy. That would tell you what the original contract was. And, and so that is what this book pictures. Now, it's, as, you, as the book is open, you find out it's, it's more than a title deed. It's really a book of judgments. The last seven judgments that are going to complete the judgment of of those who dwell upon the earth. Um, and also these contracts, this t 
title deed, this contract, um, that it was sealed. Typically, there would be one seal, you know, maybe two, <coughs> rarely, rarely three. But this has seven seals on it. And so the mighty angel comes and says, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? Now this question, now, that's, I'm un, 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 understand this question a little bit more. This question doesn't just involve a simple answer. I mean, we all understand human depravity. I mean, we see it in ourselves. We see it in everybody else. We see it every single day of our lives. Um, now, so we can immediately recognize our unworthiness for anything. I mean, we, we are acceptable to God by His grace and by our Lord Jesus Christ dying upon us on the cross to redeem us from our sin. Otherwise, we would be under His condemnation. So, so when, um, yeah, let that, me that, that, that just hold down a little bit more. So then, when this angel says, who is worthy to look upon this book? Who is worthy to even look upon it or open its seals? You know, it's, it would be easy for us to recognize you know, it's not me. Um, however, this question demands a thorough, thorough answer. And so, the angel, so, so there's a thorough, thorough search made in all of heaven, in all of earth, all, both the living and the dead, is there someone somewhere at any time who had been worthy to open this book? So a search is made. I mean, and you can imagine every, there's not a stone uncovered in this search. And what is, what is, what is the result? That's well, before I get up to 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 to, to, to the far, I'm I'm getting far in front of my, front of my notes. This angel, yes, Richard, yes. Okay. Well, the seven seals represent seven judgments, and the judgments are going going to, going to begin in chapter six. And so, when each seal is broken, there's going to be a judgment. And those seven judgments, and when these seven judgments are complete, it's all done. Okay. Now, the judgments themselves, you, you, you have to note, they're not all the same. Um, some are more intense, 
Some actually do not really look like judgments, but, but they give us reason for the judgments. Okay. So, but that begins with chapter 6, and I'm not going to, to really go in, 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 into detail now. Um, so this uh, angel, he's not named. You know, again, some say he's Gabriel. Some say he's Michael, because those are the only two other angels that are named. Um, but this one is unidentified, but he is mighty. Um, and he gives this challenge. With a, with a loud voice, he gives this question that demands an answer. Is anyone worthy to open this book? But, but, there is si but there is silence. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look upon it. And then John began to weep. Now, he did not weep because he knew his own depravity. He understood that. The reason why he, he wept was if no one is found worthy of opening this book, does that mean God's plan cannot be complete? So, no one answers this question. Even the mighty angels. So this is not just a question of, you know, okay, I know I'm depraved. Um, I know I'm not worthy. It's the fact that no one is worthy. There's no angel, no one. And so John begins to weep because there's no one in heaven. I, I, and it's not because you haven't searched enough. Why, you've searched every, every living creature, living and dead, on the earth, under the earth, every place. Um, you've searched the dead. Um, no one is worthy. And so, John weeps greatly. He's overwhelmed with grief. Um, that's, and the weep is um, it just like uh, you know, Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. And Peter weep, bitter weeping after betraying the Lord. Um, So just think about John weeping over the fact that no one is found worthy to open this book. Um, but again, it was premature because there is someone. Um, God's chosen one. Um, you know, John um, was weeping because he wanted to see God's plan go to complete fruition. Um, okay, so, um, and then one of the elders 
said to me, Stop weeping. Um, behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book its seven seals. So there is someone. So one of the elders told John to stop weeping. Um, and he drew John's attention to the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Now, no human, no angel can redeem the universe. It's all, um, but there is one who can. This person, of course, is, is a glorified, exalted Lord Jesus Christ, described here by two messianic titles. First, the lion from the tribe of Judah. Um, and that is a reference to Jacob's blessing on his son Ju Judah back in Genesis ch chapter 49. Um, and also, he is the root or the or the, or, the, or the descendant of, of David. Because he's going to rule on the throne of David. And this title comes from Isaiah chapter 11. And one of the elders... Okay, so... Well, yeah, let, let's do this. Okay. And so both of the gene... Gene genealogies of Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3 reveal Jesus has, was a descendant of David both on his father's and on his mother's side. From his father, he is descendant from David through the kingly line. Okay. Um, in Luke chapter 3, he's a descendant of David um, um, physically. Um, now, why you need those two genealogies is because there's one king in the kingly line um, that was so wicked that God said none of his descendants are going to dwell upon the throne of David. Well, that almost precludes anyone from being king. Then, however, Jesus is also a physical descendant through his mother. Um, and what that means is that though Joseph was probably could have been the crown prince, because he uh, is in that king of wine, he is not eligible. However, his adopted son is, and so that's that's why um, Matthew says that Joseph adopted Jesus, um, and so G Jesus was truly born king of the Jews. Okay. Um, 
So Jesus is the only one worthy and capable to take this because of who he is. He's the rightful king from David's loins. What, what he is, the line from the tribe of Judah, was a power to destroy his enemies. His enemies. And because of what he has done, he has overcome. And so at the cross, he defeated sin and all the forces of hell. And believers are, are overcomers not because of what we've done, but, but, but through his overcoming. And so Jesus, John's attention was irresistibly drawn to what he saw between the throne and the elders. So instead of the anticipated mighty lying of the tribe of Judah, the, the all-conquering Davidic king, what did John saw? He saw a lamb. And the Lord Jesus could not be the lion of judgment or the king of glory unless he was first the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, so we have these two Old Testament pictures of Christ, both vitally important, and both converge here. The lamb um, is a rather diminutive form of, um, of the word for, for, for um, amas or, or sheep. It refers to a, to a, to a, to a little lamb or a pet lamb. Um, and the imagery drive, drives us back to the Passover. Because during the Passover, Moses told the people, take a lamb, a, a one-year-old lamb with, without blemish, bring it into the house, and just let it reside with you for a few days. So all the kids, they begin to pet the lamb, and everyone loves that lamb, and it's a pet. And then it's slaughtered. Um, um, I mean, um, but, but, but that's the pet, um, picture. That little lamb that you love so much that was slaughtered, that's important because that's what brings salvation to you to your household. Um, um, and so, now all the lambs and all the sheep and all the oxen and all the other sacrifices that were done in the Old Testament, um, those were pictures. Those were, those were used to cover up your sins. Um, it, it did not take away the sin. The sin was still there. It, it, it was just covered up for those who had faith. But this lamb, Christ, as John would say, he's the lamb who takes away sin. Um, and so, there are several features that this is no ordinary lamb. 
First of all, he's standing up. I mean, God, John saw him as slain, but he's standing up as if, as if he had been slain, but he's standing up. Um, so these wounds, though fatal, is not debilitating for him. He is standing up. And so these scars were visible, yet he was alive. And though the demons and the wicked men conspired against him and killed him and put him in the grave and sealed that grave, he rose um, from the dead and thus defeating sin, he defeated the grave, he, de he defeated death, he defeated his enemies. And also he had seven horns, um, and now these horns are, represent power. It represents a king or a kingdom. Um, and um, seven, of course, is, is a number of perfection. Um, and it re represents here absolute power. He has it all. And he has seven eyes denoting perfect omniscience. He understands everything. Nothing is hidden from him. He sees all. Um, where can I go, David says, to flee from your presence? And his answer, nowhere. Wherever I go, you are there. And the eyes correspond to the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Again, a picture of power, omniscience. You know, he is about to judge. His judgment is true. And so verse 7 records the final momentous act in the heavenly scene. Everything John has been describing since his vision began in 4.1 has been building towards this moment. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a lamp harp and golden bowls are full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And so this views the great accumulating act of history. Jesus Christ taking that book from the hand of the Father. Um, and in this case, paradise will be regained. Um, and so now John sees the Lamb coming, taking the book out of the, of the right hand of him who sat upon the throne. Um, and, this, this, and this scene is similar, very much so, to the one in Daniel 7, when Daniel saw someone like a son of man approaching the throne. 
Although Daniel does, does, does not mention that. I kept looking at the right in the night visions. See, this would be Daniel. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. He came up to the Ancient of Days and presented himself before him. To him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, and all that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language group might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Again, there's not going to be a change in administration anytime. And so the worthy one has arrived to take back what is rightfully his. And the appearance of the Lamb was as he takes the Skoro would cause great praise coming out from everywhere. Um, you know, when he had taken the, the praise accelerates in an ascending crescendo of worship as the, the, as the oratorial of redemption reaches a climax, its climax. And there's um, two majestic doxologies of chapter 4. And there's going to be three more in chapter 5. And this spontaneous outburst results from the realization that the long-anticipated defeat of sins, death, Satan, and death is about to be accomplished. And the Lord Jesus Christ will return to the earth in triumph and establish His glorious millennial kingdom. Um... The curse will be reversed. The believing remnant of Israel will be saved and the church will be honored, exalted, and granted the privilege of reigning with Christ. That is, at this moment, uh, in the end times, when, the brick, when these seals are broken, there are going to be judgments upon the earth. The judgments will be upon the unredeemed man. Um, those who dwell upon the earth. Now, there's also going to be Israel on this land. In, um, um, on this earth. But through all these judgments, God's going to save them. And so at the end of time, when Christ returns, at that moment, all Israel will be saved. Um... And then um, all the pin-up anticipation of millennial finally burst um, upon the prospect of what's about to take place. This is it. Um, so, so they began the song of praise and worship. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. And that they offer the same worship to Christ that they did in to the Father in verse 4.10 offers convincing proof of Christ's deity since God only is to be worshipped. So the same honor that they give to the Father they give to His Son. 
Um, and so before Christ begins to unroll the row, in chapter 6 comes the song of praise in chapter 5. As they prostrated themselves before the Lamb in worship, John noticed that each one of them, each one of the 24 elders, was holding a harp and golden bowls are full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Oh, by the way, that includes your, see, your prayers too. Imagine that. Um, harps are frequently associated in the Old Testament with worship. Um, and the bowls were used in the, in the tabernacle, in the temple, whether they were used, whether they were connected to the service of the altar. And symbolized the priestly work of intercession for the, for the people. Um, so the elders, they, so they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the book to break its seals, for you were slain, and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. As the elders brought before God the desires and the prayers of the saints, they sang a new song. Throughout scriptures, a new song is a song of redemption. Um, and the song opens with a reaffirmation that Christ is worthy to take the book and to break its seals. He's worthy because he's a lamb. He's a lion from the tribe of Judah, and he's king of kings and lord of lords. Yeah. And to break his seals means that he's going to execute the judgments that are found in, those, in that book. Um, and furthermore, um, they say, For you were slain, and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That is from every possible people group there is upon the earth. There will be some. Um, and again, this should leave no question about the fact that we are saved through Christ alone. Um, there's, there's, um, there's not partial credit given to anybody because of what they've done. Because they've done nothing. Um, um, so they sang this new song that God, that Christ's substitutionary sacrificial death that purchased God from every, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Uh, purchased is a word for redemption that pictures slaves purchased on, in the marketplace and then, in the, and then they're set free. Um, we were once slaves to sin but Christ has purchased us with his blood and he set us free. 
that we may serve Christ. And so at the cross, Jesus Christ paid the price for his, from his blood to redeem men from every tribe or descent, every tongue, every language, every people from ethnic group, every culture or society from the slave market of sin. And these terms will appear to, to get, to, together again in, in Revelation chapter 7, 11, and 13, and 14. And it encompasses all of humanity. Um, and so in this worship service, there will be a crescendo of praise from all languages. Imagine that. Okay, so the song moves on to express the results of redemption. You've made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And the use of them instead of us indicates that the vastness and the comprehensiveness of redemption. The 24 elders move beyond themselves to sweep all the saints of all ages into their praise and adoration. That includes all of us. Imagine that. Um, um, this is something to this is something to look forward to, right? Um, the redeemed are part of God's kingdom, a community of believers under God's sovereign rule. Um, the priest again. Um, satisfies our complete access to God's presence for worship and service. Um, so, so, we are a kingdom that we rule. We are a priest in that we have access to the throne. Um, the present priesthood of believers, that's what we are, we enjoy now, that foreshadows a future day when we shall have total access and perfect communion with the Father. And during the Millennial Kingdom, believers will reign on earth with Christ during that Millennial 1,000 year Kingdom centered in Jerusalem over all the earth. And then John says, And I looked, and behold, the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders. The number of them were myriads of myriads, and thousands upon thousands. Now, that's a great big number. Um, so, this is what John saw. And he's reporting it to us. The, there's, the, there's the voices of the four living creatures, of course. There's the voices of the elders. And now there's the innumerable angels. Myriad means 10,000. And that's probably the highest number um, that was in the Hebrew language at that time. Um, so, myriads of, and myriads, it's just, it's just a great big number. Um, 
probably even bigger than we can comprehend even that. So, um, and then, because, you know, Hebrews chapter 12, 1 says that the number of holy angels cannot be counted. There are at least twice as many as the fallen angels, because when Satan fell, he took a third of the angels. So that leaves two-thirds holy. Um, so that's a great big number. And the vast host began with saying with a loud voice. I mean, this, just imagine all this whole congregation of angels and beings and elders singing. Okay, so so going back to the, um, the, the, the um, um, text, once again, the emphasis, yes, we're very Larry, what I have to say is that um, uh, it's what is amazing about it is all done in unison. Yes, it's done in unison. It's going to, whether you technically call it singing or saying, it's going to sound like singing. <laughs> <laughs> So, so he is worthy to receive recognition because of his power and his omnipotence. He is worthy to receive recognition because of the spiritual and the material riches that he possesses. He owns everything. He gives everything. He is the source of everything. No. So he's worthy to receive recognition because of his wisdom, his omniscience. He is worthy... For all of these things are in perfect, absolute perfections. Jesus Christ is worthy of all honor, power, and blessing. And then John says, And every living thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, to be blessing and honor and glory, dominion forever and ever. So this great hymn of praise reaches a crescendo, every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them joins in. That includes us too. So this all-inclusive statement is reminiscent of Psalm 69. Let the heaven and the earth praise Him, the seas and everything that moves in them. In the concluding verse of the psalm, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Okay, so uh, when, you know, when we read Scripture, let's know that it's all going to be fulfilled. Exactly as it is written. There's, and this worship service is going to bring it all together. So, endless blessings, endless honor, endless praise, endless glory, endless worship belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The creation is 
is unable to contain its joy in its imminent of over its imminent redemption. I mean, this is joyful. Um, so, what we see today is oh, one more verse, I think. Yeah, four, four, fourteen. Lost in wonder. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Lost in wonder and love and praise, the four living beings could only keep saying, Amen. Again, Amen means make it happen. Let it be. Uh, may it be so. And the elders fell down and once again they worshipped. And soon this mighty host would march out of heaven to execute judgment, gather the, the, the elect, and return with Christ when he sets up his heavenly kingdom. So this is the stage is set. So here at the closing of chapter 5, upon this majestic, magnificent worship service, Here's when the judgments will begin. What we call the tribulation period. Um, and woe is those who dwell upon the earth. Because judgment is coming. Um, now, granted, God will continue to redeem some people through that tribulation period including um, Israel. Um, but it's going to be tough for those who are on the, who are on the um, um, see, um, see, 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 see the earth because there's seven judgments about to begin. Seven seals. And we will see um, that those judgments will begin in chapter 6 and they'll, and they'll continue through the rest of the book. Um, and um, so are there any questions? Oh, the rapture. Okay. Well, okay, sure. Um, now, the question is, when does the rapture occur? Okay. Now, um, does the rapture occur before Revelation 4? Or does it occur after Revelation 5? That's the question. Now, Scripture isn't explicit. Um, um, all we know is that both the rapture and this, this um, um, worship service they are end time events. Um, and we know that the worship service is just prior to that tribulation period. So that seems to be, so that tends to indicate that it's very, very close. Um, now, some say that when John was called up in the Spirit, that 
corresponds to the rapture of the church. Some people say, say, say that. Scripture doesn't explicitly say that. So, we've got to um, have... we we, we got to realize this is something we, that, that we don't know. Now, at least from this text. Um, now, there may be other places in in this under scripture where it says, but actually, no. I mean, all we know is that the rapture occurs at a time that we don't know. Um, and um, also, it's imminent, which means it can happen at any time. We don't have to wait for further revelation to, to be fulfilled. We don't have to look for signs and wonders and stuff like that. It could happen any time. Um, so we should not um, try to um, and say the rapture is going to happen right here or right there. Um, but just but the important thing is. Be ready. Be alert. Okay. Um, any other other questions? Okay. Well, let me pray. Um, our Father, our God in heaven, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, help us um, to being get to um, to be lost in the wonder of your glory and of your power. Help us, Father, that we will. Look to Christ, our precious Savior. Help us, Father, that we will love you, that we'll love your Son. Help us, Father, that we may obey Him and that we may be alert and keep our lamps alight for that precious day that we shall see our Savior as He is. Amen.